Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, creator and host. So glad to have you here. To get us uh, kicked off here today, let me tell you about my website for free resources at thelastsymptom.com. like you to take advantage of that, and uh, also, while you're there, if you'd be interested in scheduling a one-on-one conversation with me, you can do that. Also, I'd like to mention that there is the opportunity, while you're there, to support my work with a donation if that's something you're interested in. Let's talk about the weather. Now, the weather's something that people usually talk about when they got nothing else to talk about, right? We've got lots to talk about, so that's got nothing to do with nothing. What is interesting is that it's 94 degrees Fahrenheit out there right now. In fact, let's find out what 94 degrees Fahrenheit is in Celsius. Hey Siri, what is 94 degrees Fahrenheit in Celsius? 94 degrees Fahrenheit is 34.4 degrees Celsius. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, who are not uh, here in the U.S. That's what we're looking at today. Now, to put this into context, today is October 3rd, 2019. And I remember when I was a kid, September 1st always marked a distinct drop in temperatures. Not anymore, boy. This has been the summer from hell. But the good news is that after today, the forecast shows only 60s and 70s from here on out. True autumn weather. And sure, I know that uh, all the folks out there in Arizona are rolling their eyes at my complaining. But man, we're just not used to it here. Hey, do you like drama? Do you like hearing other people's drama without actually having to endure any of the inconvenience yourself? Well, settle in. Last week, I got a message from a guy, a total stranger, and he says, Brian, I need to know when you started having an affair with my wife. I'm not making this up. And uh, he said a few other things about how they were now divorced and all this, but that he was doing some research into the timeline of past events. Now... Let me make this clear. I did not know this guy, and I certainly did not ever have an affair with his wife. I didn't even know who she was. But the fact that this guy would tell me, not ask me if I did, but tell me that I did have an affair with his wife, man, this really put a hair in my biscuit. So I 
I ignored the message completely. But the guy did not get the message, and he kept contacting me, telling me he knew that I had had an affair with his wife, and there were no hard feelings, but that he just wanted some details on the timeline. Well, finally, I exploded. I mean, I went off on him, and I said in no uncertain terms that I don't know him, I don't know his wife, I've never talked to his wife, I've never been in the same area code with his wife, and I just resented the heck out of being dragged in to the drama and dirt of two total strangers. Well, this got under his skin. And not only did he continue insisting that he knew I'd had an affair with his now ex-wife, but then he started slyly hinting at violence. So I took his messages, I screenshot them, and then I sent those out to 50 of his Facebook friends. And I told them that if they really cared about this wacko, to get him under control before I was forced to take legal action. Well, one of his buddies replied to me, and the guy was extremely patient and helpful. I mean, unbelievably so. And during our conversation, he talked about how the divorce was hard on, on his friend, and that the ex-wife was a flight attendant, and this and that, and so on and so forth. And I said, well, I don't care who she is. I don't know her, and I don't want another second of my time or life wasted on this nonsense. To make a long story short, as the week went on, something that the buddy said jogged my memory. Suddenly, it it all come back to me. I remembered that six years ago, six years ago, people, Over the period of only a month or two, I was indeed flirting with a beautiful black woman who was a flight attendant by text messages and social media. The flirting went on for literally only a month or two before it died off. I'm I'm laughing because at no time did any of these people mention the race of the woman. You know, that's the the world we live in now. (laughs) That relevant details are racist. The guy was white. The, The husband is white. And, uh, you know, maybe it's a reflection on me that, uh, I was naturally going through every woman I could think of who was white (laughs) when he was asking me about this. Well, he wasn't asking me about it. When he was telling me about this, when he was telling me what I did that I knew I hadn't done, uh, my mind just, you know, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about Indian women, and I wasn't thinking about Latino women, and I wasn't thinking about black women. I was thinking, oh, this guy is as white as they come. And my mind just thought, it just imagined a white woman that he was talking about. So when I'm talking to him, when I'm talking to the friend, nobody felt like it was relevant to bring up race. They brought up her job. They brought up her name. 
but they didn't bring up her race. Now, you all know my first wife was black. My daughter's Honduran. And I just, you know, I'm trying not to get myself into trouble here by saying something that's going to offend anybody unnecessarily. But it, it's just ridiculous to, uh, to live in a world where you can't mention somebody's race as a relevant descriptor, especially in a situation like this when you're trying to get to the bottom of who you're talking Who's this person talking about? Uh, if they would have said a black woman, you know, my ex-wife, she's black, and she's a flight attendant. Well, could have uh, expedited the jogging of my memory quite well. Anyway, that's a side point. My life track record speaks for itself when it comes to matters of race. And I just feel no, you know, when I say, uh, for example, uh, that my, my mentor, my ex-mentor, who uh, I spent a month with in hospice before he died, when I talk about him being a Cherokee Indian, it is relevant. It's relevant because he was proud of that. He wasn't like, you know, a lot of people say, I'm one two thousandth Cherokee Indian. <laughs> He wasn't that. He was Cherokee, a full-blooded Cherokee. And he was very proud of that. Well, when I talk about him, I bring that up because I know that was important to him. You know, that was a big, important part of his identity. My daughter, she's Honduran American. You know, I emphasize the Honduran part because she lives in the United States where her father's a white guy. She's surrounded mostly by white English-speaking people. So I overemphasize the Honduran part to drill that into her that it's as important, it's as important as what she's surrounded by. Anyway, I didn't mean to get onto a conversation about race, but holy mackerel, if they had just said, beautiful black woman who's also an airline stewardess, well... Maybe I would have figured this out a lot sooner. So back to my point. My memory was jogged, and I remembered that six years ago, six years ago, I was flirting with a beautiful black woman who was a flight attendant by text messages and social media. The flirting went on for literally only a month or two before it died off. Now, I want to make it clear at no time did I ever go on to meet this woman anywhere, and I most definitely did not know she was married. I didn't ask. She didn't volunteer the information. So there was no possible way for me to know she was married without her specifically coming out and telling me so, which she never did. And now six years later, six years, her ex-husband's now harassing me about something I can't even remember. And he's concluded that I had an ongoing physical affair with his now ex-wife. Well, I looked this guy up again. And there I saw a picture of him with his two daughters who are mixed race. And I realized that this woman I was now remembering had to be the woman he was talking about. And because he's a father to girls, 
and the guy's obviously hurting. My heart went out to him, and uh, I decided to approach the situation a bit differently. So I reached out to him again, which required unblocking him, <laughs> and I said, listen, the way you come at me, my reaction was precisely what you deserved. Telling me that I've done something that I know for a fact I didn't do, rather than simply asking me your questions in good faith, and that was not the right way to come at me. So I said, I'm not apologizing for how I reacted to you. You had that coming. I would never in a million years want to be cruel to anybody who's already hurting. So I regret that you put me into the position that you did unnecessarily. And I told him, in the future, you, you probably should use this as a learning opportunity to begin approaching people differently. But I said, my heart goes out to you as a man who's clearly hurting, and also I see you're a father to girls, and I have a little girl, and uh, this is why I've decided to come back and share my memory of things. So I shared the same details with him that I just shared with you uh, about the, the true nature and brevity of my relationship with this person. And then we parted in good terms. But holy mackerel, do you remember in the previous episode when I was talking about having a lousy week? Well, this was only a part of the reason for that. I mean, it was a big deal. It was a big hassle. So things seem to finally be going a little bit better, and I'm looking forward to the weekend. I hope you're having a better week than I, than I had, by the way. And, uh, you know, I'm not looking for sympathy. The week, like I said... Things are looking up, but uh, that was a big hassle. So there's my totally unrelated story to kick us off this week. What I really want to talk about now is a bit more about calm, assertive behavior and a practical way to implement it into your daily life. If you'll remember, a few episodes back we talked about calm, assertive behavior, and we used dogs as a way to, to kick off that discussion. Well, after a conversation with somebody recently on this topic, I had a couple of insights which I thought could be immediately and practically beneficial to all of you. And when we talk about things being practical, it means you can apply them right off, right away. doesn't take a, you know, six weeks of uh, planning. You could start doing this today. So first of all, in a real-life scenario, I realized that the biggest complication in moving from one form of behavior communication style to the other, the biggest complication is not out in the streets. In other words, the place where most people realistically experience the most anxiety and making this shift is in the home, right? Or in your personal life with husbands, girlfriends, wives, boyfriends, parents, children, next door neighbors, best friends, right? So if everybody in casual life, outside of my bubble, are used to me being passive-aggressive, and then one Monday I shift to calm, assertive behavior, this might not seem too abrupt to them. However, in my home, if I'm passive-aggressive on Friday, and then on Saturday 
I'm 100% calm assertive. It is reasonable to worry about this being like throwing a bucket of ice cold water on people that I then have to go on to deal with, not only for the rest of that day, but for the rest of the week and the rest of the month and possibly the rest of the year. So, concern over their reactions and about how this might negatively affect you is real and it's understandable. So here's the practical advice I offered to the person I spoke to the other night. How did I personally go from one behavior communication type to the other? In my personal circumstances, did I make a total shift all at once? No, I didn't. So the conversation I had with this person uh, a while back reminded me that I personally started with something very, very simple. And actually, this was something, a masterful technique that I noticed another person used successfully. We were, me and this person were in a group of people having a conversation, and this person used this particular technique. And when they did, in my brain, I said, aha, that was a masterful, calm, assertive technique that they just used. I don't even know if they used it intentionally, or I I don't even know if they mindfully knew that they were being calm, assertive or not. But I recognized it as a calm, assertive approach, and uh, I marveled at how effective it was. In other words, when they did it, I looked around, and nobody took offense at it. So the person calmly asserted themselves very bluntly and nobody took offense. And the conversation just went on and I marveled. I marveled at how effective it was. So I stole it for myself and I adopted it from that night on. This is years ago. And I still use it today. It just It's just become a reflex for me. So the first shift I made from passive-aggressive to calm-assertive was to begin saying, no, that's not true. That's it. Very simple, very calm, with no intent to offend. Now, years ago, when I was trying to figure these things out for myself, uh, I had a psychologist explain to me that you can explain You can always express yourself genuinely, no matter what, as long as you do it calmly, in a non-offensive way. Now, here's the problem I have with that word. What's offensive to me, it's a subjective thing, right? What I consider to be offensive, another person may not consider that offensive, What I consider is not offensive. Another person might consider that offensive, right? It's it's totally subjective. So it's not adequate to define, to put things into that category. So it's, it's not adequate to say that you can express yourself genuinely, no matter what, as long as you do it calmly and in a non-offensive way. It that don't work. So I've changed the wording to this. 
You can always express yourself genuinely, no matter what, as long as you do it calmly, and as long as your intent is not to offend. Much better, much cleaner, and much more specific. You can always express yourself genuinely, no matter what, as long as you do it calmly, and as long as your intent, your intent, is not to offend. So this works well with the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority because it says you get to choose how you are going to, what, first of all, you get to choose what you're going to say to somebody, if you're going to say something to somebody, and how you're going to say it. How they react to it is totally up to them, right? You don't have to be content with how they react. You only have to be content with the choices you've made. You only have to be content with yourself. You don't have to be content at all with what other people choose. That, that doesn't determine your happiness. What determines your happiness and peace is if you're content with yourself. So the two things work really well together. You can always express yourself genuinely, no matter what, as long as you do it calmly, and as long as your intent is not to offend. So if sometimes you have to say something very uh, direct to somebody, and sometimes you have to say something without softening it at all. Sometimes situations call for directness and no softening and just laying it out there. This is the manner in which you must present that communication. If the things you got to say and how you got to say them can be trumped by how other people might react to them, nothing important would ever get said. You see? But now let's get back to uh, this technique that I've just described. Just saying, no, that's not true. Let's say that me and my buddies are standing around talking about movies, and one person says something that I know is incorrect about the movie A River Runs Through It, which is my favorite movie. You know, maybe you can say that was directed by Martin Scorsese. I can simply calmly assert myself by saying, no, that's not true. It was directed by Robert Redford. This is a way for me to calmly assert myself while not putting into terrible risk my desire for this person to admire me moving forward. Of course, this is going to deaden the conversation as soon as you say, no, that's not true. The co people will fall silent. But they're not going to fall silent from offense. Rather, they'll fall silent wondering about what new information you might have. Now, you get to explain why the thing the person was saying was not true and then give additional facts. It's a beautiful, very simple, and easy way to begin applying calm, assertive behavior communication style in your life. No, that's not true. So memorize that phrase and practice it on people. Is it offensive? No, it's not offensive. Might some people take offense? They might, 
But healthy people will not, as long as you say it calmly and matter-of-factly in a relaxed, confident state. This is a great way to ease yourself into calm assertiveness, and before you know it, calm assertive will be your natural way of approaching everything. And because you've eased people into it with, no, that's not true, even those closest to you will not feel like they've had cold water thrown on them. So give it a try. See how it works for you. I got a message uh, here recently about personal accountability. I wanted to share it with you, and I also wanted to share my response to this person with you. The individual says, I'm really struggling with personal accountability and responsibility. I look back at my past behavior, and I can see the patterns of borderline personality disorder, and I think, well, yep, that is typical behavior for somebody with BPD. Then I go back to choice. I've always had choice to not do those things. But did I choose to be depressed? Did I choose to get borderline personality disorder? No. Borderline personality disorder, using that as an excuse, isn't an open and honest assessment of why I did my past bad mistakes. But it would be incomplete to not attribute the fact that borderline personality disorder pulled me in certain directions. So do you see what this person's doing? They're, uh, they're doing something really good, to be honest with you. They're, they're trying to make all these different elements harmonize and fall into a harmonious, comprehensive picture so that things make sense. So that this person can have the right attitude toward the thing as a whole, but also have the right attitude when thinking about the individual components of what uh, they've experienced and what they're trying to fix. So here's my response to the person. I also went through this internal struggle to put all these elements into context. Here is the mistake in thinking or reasoning. Believing that you must assign disgust somewhere. L- let me repeat that. The mistake this individual is making, if you read between the lines, is that the person believes that they must assign disgust somewhere. Now, let me explain a little bit what I mean. You already feel bad for what, whatever it is you've done. And then you think about whether you had a choice. And you did. So, you think that perhaps the dislike or disgust that you feel should go there. It should be assigned to there. But wait. The more you think about it, you begin to factor in the detail that you didn't know then what you know now. So does the disgust really belong there after all? Uh, But then you remember the principle of capacity versus ability, right? And you realize that whether you knew something or not does not excuse your having done a thing because you could have known and understood if only you had searched. And you compare this to your parents. You compare it to the immeasurable 
yet subtle, lasting harm that they caused you as a child, probably from ignorance. And you see how their ignorance does not excuse what they did. And now you are finding yourself in the same situation. And this type of thinking goes on and on, which is a good thing, because understanding the balanced, harmonious relationship between all these different elements is imperative for recovery. Everybody in recovery does have to see how all these different elements do relate harmoniously with one another and how they all form the bigger picture. Also, all the elements of what I'm teaching you in this program and throughout my work, all of these different elements are meant to help that big puzzle fall into place for you. However, all the while, what are many of you trying to do, whether you realize you're doing it or not? Well, you're trying to find a place to assign ultimate blame, right? Ultimate blame, which just means where should you assign all this disgust and disappointment that you feel? How about this? Give up the disgust and disappointment altogether. The truth is, you can come to see how you were responsible and how you couldn't have possibly prevented it all at the same time. Yes, the two can and do coexist. Which brings us to perhaps one of the most important elements of recovery, acceptance. Acceptance will help you see things as they are and disconnect the need to be judgmental about them. For example, you can recognize that you were responsible. And you can recognize that you failed in your responsibilities. And you can also recognize that you were ignorant. And you can also recognize that your ignorance was not an excuse. And you can also recognize that once you begin to escape ignorance, you also begin to make changes. And all this time, you can make all these observations with acceptance rather than with blame or disgust assigned anywhere. Do you see how it's possible for me, me, Brian Barnett, to make these observations in my own personal experience and not feel bad about any of them? I do have regrets, but I don't feel blame or disgust. What is regret again? Regret is simply feeling that if you could go back and do something differently or have something happen differently, that you would do that. That's all. It doesn't also always have to include feelings of shame, anger, disgust, or blame at all. Regret, very healthfully, can exist alone, just by itself, with absolutely no additional feelings attached to it. So what is regret again? It's simply feeling 
that if you could go back and do something differently or have something happen differently, you would. That's all. It doesn't have to include feelings of anger, disgust, blame, shame, none of those things. It can, it can simply exist by itself. So what allowed my feelings of blame and disgust to fade away? Well, we already mentioned it. Acceptance. Acceptance. Accepting that what was, was. It had to happen that way for me to be where I am now. And what am I doing now? You see? Now is what matters. I'm not still caught in what was. So, disgust and blame, they don't need an assigned place. As you continue getting better, your recovery is not going to mean that you're going to have found a place to assign disgust and blame. No. You will have let them go entirely. And you'll begin accepting things simply for what they are. So part of this is related to black and white thinking, you know, all or nothing. And as you advance, you'll begin to see clearly that very few things are all one thing or all the other thing. You, you'll begin to allow these things to coexist. And most importantly, you'll begin to see how it's the only way. It's the only way you can Make it all work harmoniously in your head. That's what you're looking for, right? Harmonious. A harmonious understanding of all these different elements. All right, so hang in there. Don't think that uh, you know your feelings are going to have to find a place to permanently park by the end of your recovery. Because a lot of those feelings are just going to fade away the more you learn. Folks, uh, let me tell you a few of the topics I'm trying to get into here in in the coming weeks. Here are some things that uh, I'm really hoping to flush out and present to you on this program as the the, uh, weeks come. Number one topic I'm really looking forward to uh, discussing with everybody that I've never discussed before in any type of conversation. comprehensive way emotional unhealth and religion emotional unhealth and religion that is going to be a very very profound and enlightful program for both religious folk and for people who are agnostic and atheist What I want to discuss in that program is the relationship between the two things, emotional unhealth and religion, because a lot of folks who who I talk to, religion has played a role in the emotional unhealth of their family. But we're going to talk about it. We're going to uh, work out the right attitude for you to have on the subject, as well as the right attitude to have on where that responsibility and failure of responsibility truly belongs all right number two progress how to know if you're on the right track 
This is uh, somebody had gotten in touch with me. They said, please discuss this. Obviously, I haven't yet, but I, I want to get into that. Progress. How to know if you're on the right track. How to know if <clears throat> what you're doing is taking you the right direction in your recovery. Number three, deal with family you've placed boundaries on. Something tells me that's going to be a big hit. Number four, black and white thinking and why I reject the term splitting and I refuse to use it. And finally, the last symptom, fundamental emotional re-education course. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the upcoming course has an official name. The last symptom, fundamental emotional re-education course. In that program, I'm going to make an announcement of a concrete date for the first class and a finalized overview of the program structure and topics, as well as when and how and where you can register and be a part of that first class. That's all for this week, folks. I hope you're having the best week of your lives. I'm obligated to remind you to visit thelastsymptom.com and support my work with a donation while you're there if you're so inclined. I also want to thank anybody who are contributors, who are financial contributors to my work. You don't understand how much I appreciate it, how humbled I am and how much I appreciate it, that you trust me, that you're finding my work beneficial to you, and uh, you, you folks, are the reason why I'm able to continue doing this. I realize I haven't added any new information there at the thelastsymptom.com lately, so maybe frequent visitors are finding the site a little stale. I hope you understand that I've had my hands very, very full with the upcoming book that I've been working on, as well as the Last Symptom Fundamental Emotional Reeducation course. I've been working on these things uh, simultaneously as well as maintaining regular participation on the Facebook education group, as well as coming up with new material for this podcast every week, as well as having scheduled one-on-one conversations with folks who schedule these things through my website. And so I stay pretty busy. I appreciate your understanding while I work hard to get all these things in place for those who need them. Now, we've reached the encouraging finale. When I was a kid, nobody I knew had running water in their home. They all had old-fashioned pump wells. In my family, we got our water with buckets from a naturally occurring freshwater spring, which was literally just a three or four foot deep hole in the ground where fresh water naturally bubbled out. If you stuck your arm in, you could touch the bottom. Every night, one of my chores was to go over the hill into the dark woods and bring back enough water to get us through the night and the next day. One night, my flashlight died while I was down there in the dark woods and my little dog, Socks, fell in. He was splashing around and yapping and I had to feel around in the dark and pull him out. Well, thinking nothing about it, 
I then went ahead and drew the water into the buckets and carried them back to the house. As soon as I got in, my dad scooped up a cup of water from the bucket, took a big swig of it, and then began telling my brother and I how fortunate we were to have the experience of that crystal clean water to enjoy. When he finished, I matter-of-factly said, socks fell in the spring. You let me drink water that socks washed his filthy butt in? <laughs> oh man, my dad was angry than a hornet, but he had said the word butt. So my brother and I could not stop laughing. And we're still laughing about it today.